Hey everybody, Mark DeSalvo here. Welcome to the DeSalvo Performance Hour. Thank you for downloading another week. Appreciate it. Uh, today we have a really, really cool guest. Uh, he's a close friend of mine that I've gotten to know a lot over the years. He's been a great advisor to me, both in business, particularly in the business of fitness and martial arts. Uh, he owns a very successful martial arts school in New Jersey, not too far from Trenton. I believe it's Ewing, New Jersey. Uh, it's called Budo Martial Arts. He teaches Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu there. Uh, he's also, like many of our guests, just a veteran of the East Coast MMA scene. Uh, he had a lot of fights going back a lot of years as he gets into, cross paths with some really interesting folks. So if you're into that kind of thing, I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Um, he ended up even interviewing me quite a bit at the end. He asked me a lot of questions. Uh, some of his followers on Instagram uh, chimed in and asked a few. So uh, we get into some interesting topics. It's really kind of all over the place. But if you enjoy jujitsu, mixed martial arts, strength and conditioning, and just decent life advice, I think you're going to like this. He's a really great guy, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did and as much as I enjoy his company. Listen up. Enjoy. Charlie Vinch, everybody. So basically, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you here is because I think a lot of people who listen, who, you know, a lot of people who listen, like, first of all, are like curious people, whether they're athletes, casual athletes, recreational, like informed trainees. And then like the other half are other people who own businesses, trainers, martial artists, or people who make a living in this kind of thing from martial arts. And uh, one thing that I'm very lucky to have in my circle are a lot of people like yourself who own schools, are really great martial artists, great people moreover, but also are always interested in many things. Like you, you have a lot of interests. You, you take a lot of agency in, your, in your, how you conduct business and you always wanna be better at it. And I think like for clients, I mean, they, and people who are, are your clients, they, they understand that or they can smell it on you almost. And so I like to expose people like yourself to people on podcasts. That's, so that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on. But how did you get your start in even thinking, I'm going to make money or I'm going to make fitness and, and martial arts my business? How did I start? to believe to, that I'm gonna make money in the fitness slash martial arts industry. Well, uh, martial arts was always something that I really enjoyed doing mm -hmm. growing up, and I knew from the first day that I did martial arts that I wanted to do it for the rest of my life. Oh, awesome. But how I wanted to do it for the rest of my life, I didn't know. Right. Um, I know that I wanted to fight. That was my first priority, was competing. So is this, when you say fight, you knew you wanted to fight MMA or you wanted to do like kickboxing or something? Yeah, anything. Anything, got it. Kickboxing, okay. boxing, yeah. MMA. How old were you? 13, 14. Oh, okay. So this started young. Yeah. Yeah. And how old are you now? 35. 35. Okay, wow. So you really did, you really knew young. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. So when you, when, it, when you kind of had that, what do you call it? pollination or that, uh -huh. that moment like okay or maybe it was a series of moments that led up to it like what was the first step did you go and seek like what martial art did you start with the first martial art I started with was Jeet Kune Do oh nice JKD yeah which is Bruce Lee's fighting method right and I'm really happy to have done that first because mm -hmm. it's 
a martial art that's very open to other martial arts. I'd say it's very open-minded. It's very open-minded. You know, use no way as a way. Uh, yeah, I like and that. And Bruce Lee's, you know, be like water, adapt. Right. And my first martial arts instructor, Rick Tucci, who is currently, I, I, I assume still, under Dan Inasanto, mm-hmm. who was directly under... Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he had a very close relationship with Dan. I think he still does to this day. Right. And he would always make great parallels. Like, you know, you can use this for this, you can use for this for this. And we were mixing the takedowns and the punches and the get back up and the, the, the defense and the offense constantly with mm-hmm. like, basically it was like, I was doing like MMA. Right. You know, from an early start. Right. So it was really good to, to be so exposed to such an open martial art in the beginning that I wasn't, uh, you know, stuck in one kind of like realm of martial arts of like, you know, we, we do just this. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And so how did you find jujitsu? So I found... Because you are a jiu-jitsu black belt for the people who might be listening yes. and don't know. Yes. I found mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu through Rick because he was a blue belt at the time. And again, we're going back when I was 13. So oh, I'm wow. 35 now. So this is... How, how long ago was that? I'm bad at math. Uh, <laughs> 22 years. 22 years ago. Yeah. So 22 years 13, ago. 13, yeah. He was a blue belt under... I believe it was Higa Machado. Yeah. And we would do gi jiu-jitsu once a week at his studio. Oh, that's awesome. We also... You were talking about Rick. That's right, under Rick, yeah. under Rick Tucci. Oh, we would oh Rick also, Tucci, okay, gotcha. We would also do CSW mm-hmm. under Eric Paulson, which oh. is Combat Submission Wrestling. Right, I was going to say, yeah. Right. So we, I would do that once a week also. He had his curriculum set up where you would do JKD, I think he had like every day of the week, and then you had jiu-jitsu once a week, and then you had CSW like twice a week. Right. So you could go to all of these different classes mm-hmm. and really become a well-rounded fighter. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, was this like the early days of the UFC or like what? what? Yeah. So, yeah. So this, so the 22 con- years ago, the concept of how he would have even came up with this, do you think that comes from mixed martial arts or just wanting to be a complete fighter? Cause mixed martial arts was like barely a thing back then. Sure. Or Valley Tudo maybe he knew about and these types of things. I don't know. I curious. wonder. Yeah. I wonder. I think he was really going off Bruce Lee's philosophy more than anything. Right. Like he's he was he's still, I believe, and you know, was heavily influenced through Bruce Lee and you know, uh, being a well rounded, you know, fighter, like not being so right stuck in one thing, like use use it all. Right. Use it all. You know, right. become a well rounded martial artist right yeah, absolutely yeah and so flashing forward from there coming up so mm-hmm. you at one point fought MMA yes yes so yeah. that was like at what age uh, my first MMA fight was in like 2006 okay oh wow so yeah okay and then how long did that go on for so I fought for like a couple years I had four four fights right um, we would do in-house tournaments for kickboxing and boxing before uh-huh. I did MMA. Right. And then I did some grappling tournaments before I did, you know, an MMA tournament. Right. Actually, my first grappling tournament was here in New York City uh-huh. at a gym. Oh, I don't even know the name of the gym. Oh, really? Where was it? Uh, maybe in New York Sanda? Sanda? Yeah, it's actually... Does that up, sound right? Yeah, there is a place up the street. It's like 36th Street. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Is it by the hot dog place? 
know there's a thousand hot dog what, places what, what in is the town. What is the popular <laughs> hot dog place here in New York City? Uh, I mean, you mean like the the carts? Or no, the, no, the, no, no, no. Oh, I don't know. The papa- it's like oh, papaya dog yes. or one of those places. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember it was right by there. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget it was right by there. I, I believe that was the name of the place. And I'll have to ask uh, Rob Rob Garino. Okay. Rob Garino was my first mixed martial arts coach. Right. And he told me about this but maybe it was rhino new york i can't remember now yeah yeah i'll ask him yeah yeah well there was a, there, so there's a place new york sanda and actually uh is it grappling there so there was for a long time i don't know what 20, they do now 22 years well no so D- dan koval i don't know if you're familiar with dan no. dan's one of these guys judo and brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt okay like, one, like great american jiu-jitsu practitioner just like overall really awesome guy really awesome at jiu-jitsu and uh he had his program there for a long time. He actually just moved it like less than a year ago from Sanda to, um, he's doing it at uh, Phil Nurse's uh, place, oh, The cool. Watt. Yeah, so he, nice. that's, that's a, the jiu-jitsu program there is his. So it used to be at Sanda. So like for, that was up until like, not just like a year ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but yeah. So if you're listening to this, this is like a very, uh, this is something that I kind of love about martial arts and the and even the sport of MMA and as it developed is that it's so recent and the growth is so exponential that people are around like and still like at an age where they're it's not like people are old men or old women it's like this this all happened these like old glory day stories they all happened like not that long ago yeah like 20 years that's like nothing yep and there's so many people out there that are like that or, or part of it especially on the east coast and like, that's why, you know, I always love hearing these stories. I always love hearing how people get started, like kind of where they came from. Because to me, it sort of indicates like where they're going or how or it's told me something about their trajectory. And I get it, you know, like it makes me understand them on a deeper level. So I love having these conversations. It was so the, the way that it was set up was Rob told me, he goes, you have to be there mm-hmm. you know at nine o'clock for the weigh-ins and you have to be this way so like I, I remember like I was my, my girlfriend at the time she was like help helping me cut weight or, or more like helping me not eat food yeah yeah because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how to do it then. right and right I was like I'll just I won't eat anything for like 24 hours or whatever right right so we got there we waited there was a ton of people there there was right. uh, like a really good amount of people there um, and then there was somebody or a couple people who were like, one guy was lighter than me, but he was a purple belt. And then the, the other guy who was the same weight as me was a little bit older. And we, we just, we made like a round robin. So I got like, right. you know, three or four matches. Actually, it's on YouTube. Oh, wow. It's on YouTube. If you Google my name, you can got watch it. it. Uh-huh. The match was set up. Right. In a ring. <laughs> in a ring. In a boxing yeah, ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a grappling match in a boxing ring. Oh, my God. It's not the same. Don't ask me why. Yeah, it's not even the same, like, pliability. No, and when you hit the ground, it was like, boom! Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like WWE, like, the sound effects. Yeah. (laughs) I remember, I think my first match or my second match, I didn't even have a a shirt on. I think it, like, ripped. I I didn't have a rash guard then. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, we're going back, like, 15 15 years ago, because I was, like, my 20s. So, you know, 15, 16 years ago, I don't even think we had rash guards. I just... I had like a pair of shorts and I had a t-shirt and then it ripped and then I had to take it off and right yeah um, wow yeah we had we got some grappling in man right and then so, I won a medal after they gave me a medal after. oh nice yeah amazing yeah 
That's always funny. That's the, the, the medals that they give out after at some of these places. It was so cool yeah. though, man. Oh, it is. You, you walk out of there like, fuck yeah, look at this. Yeah. yeah look what I did today. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So how did that go from there? Because you trained with some interesting people in MMA. So yeah. So how, who, who was it specifically? Where did you go? Because I know you did a little bit of traveling. Is that right? That like you went to Philly or? Yeah. Okay. Do, I, do you want me to go like who I've trained with before in my life? Or just, yeah, sure. Go for it. I'm going to try. I'll try to go in order. So first was Rick Tucci. Then I started boxing. Okay. In Trenton, New Jersey with two Olympians who were, who used to be Olympians when they were younger. It was right. Sammy and Barry Goss. They were brothers. Right. And they were Olympians. Uh-huh. Okay. I believe they were both gold medalists in the Olympics. Right. And they had a gym in Center City, uh, Trenton. Uh-huh. And it was at the YMCA. So I'd go there and box with them. Right. And then I, I'm kind of like, oh, I want to like do some more. Like I like the boxing. I really enjoy it. We did some in-house tournaments. I really want to go back to like kickboxing. Right. So then from there, I transitioned into back to Rick's place. And then after Rick's place, I went to Rhino Fight Team, which is in Tom's River, New Jersey. Okay. Tom's River, New Jersey. Rob Garino was mm-hmm. the owner of Rhino Fight Team. Right. Um, and like... Back then, it was the who's who of MMA. Everybody would go there. I was going to say. Everybody would go there. Yeah, yeah. That's familiar. And then Tom's River is also where Frankie Edgar's from. So I, be- I believe, don't, don't quote me on yeah. this, I believe he started with Rob. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I could be wrong. Okay. But uh, I know that he was there at, at one point. The guys that I was training with when I was there were um, Tom Galicchio, mm-hmm. who was on The Ultimate Fighter. Right. Kevin Roddy. Um, Brendan Barrett. Uh... There's another guy named Jose Rodriguez. There was another name, guy named Alexis. Uh, Alex, I think his name's Alexis. Dude, this is so long ago, man. Yeah. My friend Eric Purcell. My friend Brett Petrulik. Uh, Didn't you have a was was it Alan Belcher at one point you came so back to with? Okay, that's like going ahead. We're, we're, we're going too far ahead. Okay, I'm we're sorry. Going too yeah, far yeah. Ahead. So I trained with those guys for a while, and they they really helped me get my feet wet in the the MMA mm-hmm. the MMA realm. And then from Rob's place, I went to Ricardo Almeida's. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. So I went and trained with him, the MMA team, and his jiu-jitsu. And then from there, I made a move to... I know, right? When I was training with Ricardo, I was also training at Satan Gym with Rami Abraham. Uh-huh. Okay. I've heard He's of that. The yeah. longest active Northeast, or maybe a North American mm-hmm. Muay Thai fighter. Wow. He has like 200 fights. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's like not even a lot for those guys. Well, oh a lot, yeah. For American, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then from there, I went to, to Philadelphia and now currently train with Rick Miglaris and Phil Miglaris, who are Phil's a six degree black belt under Helsing Gracie. And uh, I still, you know, represent Rami as much as I can. And right. uh, I appreciate his. Muay Thai, so we'll, he does some seminars at my place. And then before that, I did go out to Alabama for a training camp slash seminar and trained with Duke Rufus and Alan Belcher. Got it. At their their gym there. Got it. That's yeah, I'm awesome. I'm sure I've missed some other people too. Yeah. Those are like the main. Well, you know the re- so one of the reasons there are many, but one of the reasons I wanted to have you on too is because you've crossed paths with so many different people. You, yeah. You you had so much intersection. I mean, even the way you and I met mm-hmm. was at when I was working with Steve, mm-hmm. Steve Maxwell, we were, he was actually in New York doing a seminar at, um, 
Dan uh, Anderson's place, yeah. Anderson's Martial Arts, and you came out. And one thing I've always really enjoyed about you is that you, like I said to you earlier, you're very friendly, and you're you'll just start talking, and you feel like you knew you knew you. I've known you forever, kind of thing. Like it was one of those things. And I remember leaving the seminar, and then you and I were walking and talking, and I was like. I didn't even realize we were still hanging out and talking and we're all like, you know, halfway up, like through Soho at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, It's just a very familiar feeling. So um, knowing that you've been involved with so many different camps, so many different teachers, so many different people, because I know maybe some people listening, they might have turned it off by now because they're like, I don't know any of these MMA people. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. But the point is, is that I think people like yourself who have I think this sport is one that it's like it, it's like a small world but it's also um, it's very oh what's the word I can't I lost my train of thought but the point is is that you, you've been around you've seen a lot of really cool stuff yeah. yeah so at what point in all of that did you say to yourself I want to like now open a business or I want to like either get out of fighting or do I, did you want to still fight and have a school? Because that's something that comes up a lot with guys. Like they want to still fight, but they're, they're like, well, I guess the only way I can make money is open a gym and opening a gym is like a whole headache and a half of its own. It's like, it's a different world. They're not inherently compatible. They can be, but sure. they typically are not. So let's steer things more that way. So, this was not even on my radar to be a gym owner okay. until I incurred my, my first hip injury. So when I was living in Philadelphia, training with uh, the Megalories brothers and actively pursuing fighting MMA, right. I had my first um, hip labrum tear mm-hmm. on my, my, I believe it was like my right side or my left side. I can't remember. Right. And um, it kind of just put the brakes just like on everything. I mean, before the injury, right. my whole thing was to be best MMA fighter right like that was my that was that was it like right. that was it yeah exactly. that's how I was gonna make money that's how I'm, I'm gonna be in the UFC I'm gonna right you know that I'm pursuing that as a young 22 year old or whatever 23 year old right that's what I want to do right um and then I you know got this horrible hip injury and then it just like it basically just slowed me down and right. I had to start thinking like okay now what are you gonna do now right and my friend Eric Purcell mm-hmm. who owns NPR Endurance right he asked me, he said, do you want to come, you know, would you like to come teach Muay Thai? At the time, I was also teaching Muay Thai at Balance Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I started to notice while I was teaching how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. Because when you're a fighter or you're, you're a Jiu-Jitsu practitioner or you're an athlete, let's mm-hmm. just say athlete because I hate saying just like you're a fighter, you have to be When you're yeah. an athlete, yes. you have to be selfish. Yes. Like, and, and anybody who tells you different, I don't believe that they are the best athlete. John Jones talks about it. You know, he has to be selfish with his time and his training. And like, that's how you get good. Yeah. I mean, you have to be selfish so you can be the best person that you can be. Right. So I was no longer being selfish. Right. And I had to go, I really enjoy training people. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I enjoy this more than something for myself. And I really like to give. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a giver right and I really enjoyed more seeing people get something out of it right than I did giving something to myself right see that's beautiful because I if people have been listening to my podcast I have s- probably going back every single guest who deals with athletes has said some version of exactly what you just said 
that we talked about it last time with Rich Van Houten, with uh, Ben Velasquez, another guest. He's the one that like put it into play is that he said, you know, I've always found that with athletes that to be the best athlete, you have to be a little selfish and to be the best coach, you have to be a little selfless. Yeah, a lot of sure. And, and that was how he summed it up. We talked about this last episode and then you just gave your perspective. So it's like, it's, it's threes people. It's threes. So it has to be like, it, you know, there's a law there. There's, it, it's very true. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I felt like for me, when I, I grew up playing hockey, mm-hmm. people have heard this story, but I grew up playing hockey and I, I was never told, and this, this is the funny thing, like with hockey, I loved playing. I just loved playing. And I was never told, like, you can't come back. It was literally just like, I'd be on these really competitive travel teams. But it was always like, go to tryouts. There was one year I didn't make a team, but I went to the next competing organization, made their team. But eventually I got to a point where I could see people were catching up because I was kind of an early puberty kid. So I was faster, bigger than everybody. And then everybody caught up to me. And then they started exceeding me. But I could still skate with them, but I had no puck handling skills. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. So that was in my head was like, why, how do I fix this? So I became very interested in problem solving. And by that time, like in my personal life, my family and I, we had moved so much that it started and we moved to places where there were no hockey organizations and there really just wasn't anything to do. So I was playing rec leagues and whatever and just kind of doing it for fun. And at that point, if you wanted to make a career in it, it was over. Like the pin was in it. Maybe I could have done more to, to push that but either way I just became obsessed with things I couldn't do and mm-hmm. why that was and then long story short is in, in that search I got to a point where I realized that in like wanting to coach or like in thinking like hey I might be good at, at coaching or I might be good because I started figuring out like the holes in my game and like the people who did it really well, I'd be like, wow, if you took that guy's skill and like put him on this, or, yep. you know, if you did that, like, wow, that could really work. Or, or like, if you could take like a guy like me, I'd be perfect on the third line because I could be the grinder line because I keep up with all the guys who skate fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just hack away at them. Like I can't actually do anything, but like I can keep up with them. And um, anyway, this is the long way of saying I liked problem solving and I liked all of these things. And what I really got into in that process and in interacting with people is I really realized I really like coaching. I really like being around people. Like yeah. the athlete dream was like dead, like kind of dead on arrival, but it was kind of like, I, it didn't mean that I couldn't be involved with it. You sure. know what I mean? And I never accepted that, you know, that like, Oh, you just cause you're not an athlete, you can't be involved. I was like, no, no, there's, there's a place, there's a place for everyone. You know, if you want to be here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's my, uh, that's my story. I didn't mean to, Bogart no, years. Yeah, I, it's I, my I, first time hearing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. So it's that you know that's like a ver- like one one of the thoughts that was going on that whole time, and that was I got really interested in strength and conditioning because I oh I remember going in the gym the first time and just being like completely enamored, and my mom could see that I was enamored like mm, with it, mm. and she was just like, and she figured out a way to like get me to go because I was like twelve, and this is like the like the early 90s and like they didn't want kids in the gym this wasn't like a normal thing so she was like she talked to one of the trainers who was his bodybuilder and he had like pictures on the wall of him with uh, with the, the spray tan on nice. like at the local show um, yeah super cool dude and she would like set up this thing where I could go and train with him like a couple times a week nice. at the gym and he taught me everything like he taught me everything my early everything like the how to use the Nautilus machines barbells dumbbells everything and it was much more with a bodybuilding 
uh, thing in mind. But it's something I was not good at. Like, it was hard for me, but I liked that. I've always been really attracted to things that were really difficult, like things I could not do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this, I understood, I understood at that age that athletes trained and that athletes um, were in, you know, they'd go to the gym to be better on the field or on the ice or whatever. But I didn't know how they did it or why, like what they were actually doing. But I was like, oh, there's a key here. I bet you there's something here. And I suddenly just got more obsessed with the weight room, like as a teenager, to the point where I almost didn't care about hockey anymore by the time I was like 16, 17. I was just like, yeah, I could go play, but I kind of want to go to the gym. You know, like I, yeah. I, I kind of think there's something there. there, there was some, and then, you know, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but the point is, is that for me, the interesting thing was, like I was saying, the 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 carryover or like the that that point where it was like, oh, this could be really good for this, if that makes sense. I don't yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. So then I then that was when I realized I was like, I could probably figure out this coaching thing. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a natural flow to life. Yeah, yeah. That like you can't force something to happen. Right. And if you've ever read any of like Michael Singer's stuff, mm -hmm. have you ever read the his name so the familiar. surrender experiment? No, I've never read any of his stuff, but that name sounds very familiar. Yeah. So he talks about it. Right. It's not what your mind is telling you. Right. It's actually what's happening right now. Like it, it doesn't matter what's happening. Right. You just accept that it is happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you deal with what is actually happening. Right. Exactly. So like I had a hip labrum tear. I accepted that I couldn't do martial arts at that point and I went through two crazy major surgeries right I remember you telling me so no matter how much I wanted to force that to be healed and ready to train mm -hmm. it just it was it was happening the way it was happening right so I needed to accept right. that, that was happening mm -hmm. and what can I do right while accepting that yeah so you've accepted okay I stopped playing the sport but now life has pushed me in this direction. Right. And there's like a natural flow to things. Mm -hmm. Right? Definitely. Absolutely. I think... And that, that sounds like woo-woo and hippy-dippy, but... No, I, I really believe that, man. No, I, I do really, too. I really, really do. Have you ever yeah. seen birds fly mm -hmm. in a flock? Well, like, I, yeah, ducks, all different kinds. But yeah. When they, when they pick up off the ground, uh -huh. how they sequence each other... Right. Do you think they talk to each other? They're going, no, you go right. No, I go left. No, it's probably their DNA. Yeah. It's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a flow to it. Right. Okay? And exactly. I, I do believe deep down inside there's a flow to everybody's life. Right. And sometimes it takes a little bit to, to, to find, but once you find it, yeah, it's like you're in that flow. Yeah. It's like magic. I think you have to, yeah, you have to learn how to listen almost. Yeah. You do. You got to get silent. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, it is going to push you there. Like there's so many times where I've been so stubborn and that's why I understand like really competitive athletes because I get it. I, I've, I have that stubbornness. I totally get it. But those times where I had to just kind of shut up and listen and learn how to do that were the times that it's like you could be taken by the wind to use your analogy. You're just like, oh, no, this is where I'm being steered. And, you know, the more you fight things, sometimes the harder it makes it, I think. Yeah. And I think that's a hard lesson to learn. So it sounds like you were able to pick up on that a bit. Like, like I had no it, choice. Yeah. So it, it put, like, the, the surgeries, I talk about this, like, on every podcast. Yeah. Like, that's okay. <laughs> the surgeries put me to a point. Phil, Phil McGreece has a very similar story. And we, 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 we talk about it all the time. The surgery put me to a point 
where I couldn't walk. Right. I couldn't do anything. I had both of my hips done, major surgery. Right. I have no time but to think, right. but to be silent. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have chose to let my mind just take over and try to force the issue, but like it really slows you down. Like when you have a serious injury, yeah, that you can't walk, or maybe you can't move your arms, or like you can't move your neck, or maybe you're paralyzed. Like God forbid, you're paralyzed. Right. Anything like that, it really slows your mind down because it. Right. You can't start jumping to other conclusions as good. You, you have to be in that present moment. You're like, fuck. Yeah. Can I, cur- can I curse? Yeah, of course. You're like, yeah. fuck, I, I can't move. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. like, this is what it is. Right. It's why it, you lose the ability to sort of, because you have to think so much about what's going on in front of you. It's like things will tend to, what do you call it? There's like a domino effect. Like if you lose the ability to walk properly, that means that there's probably like three other things you didn't anticipate that go along with that. Mm -hmm. And that's where the deterioration I think happens a lot, you know? Sure. And you know that from your training, right? Yeah, definitely. And you see, I see it a lot, you know, early in my, like hockey kind of messed up my body a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's a really weird sport. But like, jiu-jitsu not. Yeah, I know, jiu-jitsu too, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. But you know, it's funny is that like, I see a lot of guys who are around our age who are like, who had like really like roar, like roaring 20s to use mm-hmm. the, like the whatever, you know, whatever term you want to use. That these guys like powerlifter friends of mine, like who had amazing totals in their 20s are just like really strong competitors either in jiu-jitsu, MMA, just other sports. And they get to their 30s and they might have had a significant injury, an ACL tear or like something happened. Mm-hmm. And it caused them to think a little bit more meaningfully about their movement. Sure. I encountered hundreds of these people when I worked with Steve. Tons of people. Oh, I'm you sure. Know, that's like Steve knows everybody. Exactly. And he's in, uh, you know, how old is he? 66. I don't want to age him prematurely. 66 or 67. Right, so 66, 67. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's 35 or yeah. 30. He's ripped. He's got abs. So Steve knows people that he trained with when he was in his 30s, yeah. and then he knows people from the jiu-jitsu world who are in their 30s or 20s, or yeah. you know, in their roaring 20s, as you would say, yeah. right. and he's seen it already, so he's like, this is what you need to be doing. Right. Like, I've been there and I've done it, and yeah. I got the t-shirt, and I already came back three times. Right, exactly. So early in my training like career, even just on myself, like before I even had clients, like my people would give me these powerlifting programs. I would read these, like on T Nation, which is a website I still love to this day. Like the best coaches, strength coaches, like Poliquin used to write for it, like everybody, Christian Thibodeau, like just tons, even going back farther. Mm -hmm. They'd give these great workout splits and I'd go to the gym and I'd do them and I'd be like, I wouldn't have progress or something would hurt or I just couldn't complete it right. I was like, man, what's going on? And I realized how jacked up my body was. So like I had to answer those, like that, you know, that dinner bell a lot sooner than a lot of my friends did and like peers did. And I had to take that sort of journey like in my early 20s to like really learn how to sort of heal myself mm-hmm, for a lack mm-hmm. of a better term. Like I had to learn corrective exercise. I had to learn how to meditate. I had to learn yeah. how to, I had to learn more flexibility, mobility protocols. I had to learn a lot more about anatomy and when this muscle is out of whack that this antagonist muscle can also be. I, I had to really educate myself And that led me to people like Paul Check. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like, he, if there was like a godfather of like functional fitness, it's probably him. Really? And then he, you know, cause he's very, uh, he was very big on like the Swiss ball. So like 
stability training and things like that. But also, he's another guy like Steve, like like sixty something, like ripped, like doesn't look a day over forty. Wow, you know, like one of those guys. Good for him. Uh, just incredibly smart. Like he was an advisor, if I'm not mistaken, to the Bulls in the '90s when they were winning championships, cool. like as a strength coach and whatnot. Anyway, point is, is like his stuff as he got older was like all what he calls working in, which was like working, doing exercises and protocols to like kind of help give you more vitality. So not to go and rob you of strength and learn how to know when you have that vitality. Yeah. So I did so much of his stuff and tons of, I never met the guy, like, but I still to this day have never met him and it helped me a lot. And then it's kind of like, you know, what's that old saying? Like you're, when the teach, when the student is ready, the teacher will present himself. Yeah slowly started building myself up more so I could like work out hard like one day a week and not feel like just jacked from it because like I've, I've probably, I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast like this is like my early 20s like this is what most people have happens to them in their 30s or early 40s sure this happened to me in my 20s and early 20s and so I think it does happen to people yeah, in their early 20s it does no one talks about it though and that was and so the point was is that at that and I'm skipping a lot but that was when Steve popped up I started, I said, hey, you know what? I've always wanted to train jujitsu. This thing that I've seen and heard about since I was like a kid, but I was always a little bit afraid of, you know? Like, this is like when I was 26, I guess. Because, like, you know, I had had a lot of concussions in hockey. I was very wow. sensitive about my neck. I was very, like, my posture was very weird. Like, just lots of stuff like that from playing hockey and just, you know. I could go on all day about that stuff. But I finally, through doing all these different protocols, working with a great friend of mine who I did a podcast with for a long time, Froylin Sanchez, he's a great trainer in New York. Through working with him and like going on this discovery journey of like how to rehabilitate myself basically, I started training with kettlebells, I started getting into um, jujitsu, I started slowly getting back into little barbell sports here and there, and I and then I, at that point, we were doing a podcast, and it was like, hey, we should interview this guy, Steve Maxwell. He's, like, really into... He's really, he's, re, he's really into jiu-jitsu kettlebells and mobility. And, uh, oh, he was uh, just on this or that other podcast. Like, like he's a, he sounds like a good interview. And I emailed him. We called him up. We recorded the interview. And then afterwards, him and I just stayed in touch. Like, because it was clear that we got along. Yeah. And, like, he was still traveling at that point like different city every week and I just get these emails from Steve like hey how's your jiu-jitsu hey how's this and then we just became friends he's great man yeah. I love Steve and so at that point through training with him it was kind of like Steve's really underrated I think in how good he is at like his stability protocols he doesn't call them that which you were is what, you were, we talked about that yeah he's very underrated in like how like you know book savvy but yeah he's people don't People, I think, sometimes look at him as the kettlebell guy or now as, like, mm -hmm. the isometrics guy. But Steve is a phenomenal coach, and he's also, in his isometrics and his kettlebells and the way he trains jiu-jitsu, it will get you, if you are in pain, he'll, he'll or if, if you feel like you're always weak in a certain area, he'll figure it out and fix it. It might not always be the thing that the study or whatever says, but he has this just weird way about him that all great coaches experience. do. Experience. He can pick it out. And like if you want to use the books, the the book terms, it's it's stability. He knows how to just make you more solid. And by the time I was done training with him, I felt really solid and I was really ready to like get back to training like 
I always did or wanted to when I was a teenager. And now I'm in my 30s and I'm as strong as I've ever been. Stronger, in fact. Um, like, the way I train now, I don't take it for granted. I would have never have been able to train like this at a certain point in my 20s, like going to jiu-jitsu three, four days a week, being able to power lift and do all these other things, another four, like run a business. Like, it's, it's like you had to your point there was like the wind had to sort of take me in a place and I had to learn how to be ready for that stuff yeah and then you're suddenly ready and then you know not suddenly it's just you look back behind you like wow look at all this stuff you know and it's like the flow that, happened yeah it just happened it yeah. happened yeah. Right? yeah you didn't you didn't force it no exactly and anytime I tried things oh they were miserable you know it's weird yeah we, well, yeah. we have to like uh, ask uh, somebody in I don't know physics or something to ask them uh, what's the correct term for trying to force something and it not working and yeah. it's relaxing and letting it flow and that it does happen better I'd be curious to hear yeah there's a lot of perspectives for that I'm sure <laughs> so I know we have a lot of there was because you put up on your Instagram questions people wanted to ask yeah. us so we'll get to that in a second so okay. just teasing people but um, I want to ask you though now about what you do now because now that I've talked a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> apologize to everybody listening. No, no, I have a, yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah, go for it. This, this is a question that I get from, you know, students or past students or even maybe newer students who are going to come into my school who are a little bit older. Um, they ask me or they tell me I can't do jujitsu because of my yeah. back, my mm-hmm. hip, my shoulder, my elbow, and and I'm not a physical therapist, and I am not a right. strength and conditioning coach. I don't know anything about it, and I tell them, I'm like, listen, you need to go see a professional, right, and ask them what's going on. And nine times out of ten, do you know what they tell me? What's that? Ah, I don't want to go. Yeah. And I said, well, you shouldn't be doing jujitsu then if yeah. you're hurt. Like, exactly. If, if you're hurt, mm-hmm. right? Why would you come in and hurt yourself more right. and then not do anything to fix what was kind of hurting? So what do you tell people who are like, my career ended, I have a rib injury, or my career's ended, I have a labrum tear, or my career is injured because I have an elbow thing, or I hear, you know, yeah. mostly from people my age, yeah, yeah. or in high school with, I'm like, dude, you should come to my studio and do jujitsu. Right. Oh, I got this back problem. Right. I'm like, come on, man. I think when you encounter those, you might be hearing people like, throwing up like resistance and it's just the first thing so like there's there's of course people who do have things that you have to really work around sure. like like true back problems or true knee problems neck etc but then there's also people who are like I bent down one too many times to like pick up something in my garage and I kind of hurt my back a little and uh-huh. like that's that's a bad excuse if you're that person you sure. know what I mean but if you're a person that like maybe was in a car accident or like maybe had some type of trauma it like physical or otherwise yeah then yeah you should definitely consult a professional first um you know a lot of times just there's is, is there a fix for the for i don't want to say is there a fix for these people i'm like lumping them into something like i don't want to say like the injured people over here the non-injured people no, over no, here. Yeah. how long does somebody really have to dig at it and find somebody before they're like yeah this is working for me i feel like when I hear people talk about it, they're like, yeah, I went to physical therapy for two weeks. I'm like, dude, your shoulder's been hurting for like a year. You can't go to physical therapy for two weeks and think it's going to work. Yeah. Well, maybe sometimes you can though. See, that's the other thing is that gotcha. um, sometimes I, I, like I can use personal experience here. 
I worked the first four years that DeSalvo Performance Training was a business. Uh-huh. Was, it was inside of a physical therapy clinic. Oh, awesome. I, so I, you got hands yeah, on. So I rented space from a physical therapist downtown. Reset Physical Therapy still a great place. I refer people there all the time. Um, they basically, I, when you're in physical therapy, one big thing besides besides the performance versus physical wellness, mm-hmm. like contrast between strength and conditioning and physical therapy, one thing that contrasts, in my opinion, fitness or strength and conditioning from physical therapy also is that in physical therapy, you're dealing with people who are in pain or trying to get out of pain versus strength and conditioning. The assumption is that you are relatively healthy and can participate. And, and you've been in pain before. And oh, yeah. And you know where your brain goes when you're in pain. I know that when I was trying to get into jujitsu, and I was, I was having a lot of rib pain early on. Mm-hmm. And it used to scare me because I associated it with the pain I had from playing hockey, like the, the, some of the bad checks and open ice hits mm-hmm. I had taken mm-hmm. that like had lasting effects. Because it was like internal damage. Yeah, I was like, you, your mind wanders. But here's the thing, back then, I wasn't qualified to even let my mind wander. I didn't know shit from shit. Yeah, you yeah, know? okay, excellent so point. That's You're the, playing Dr. Google. Yeah, Okay. like now, I'm even now, I'm really smart and I'm smart enough to know what I don't know, but mm-hmm. I'm, I also am confident in what I do know. So there's sometimes when I will tweak something at jujitsu or otherwise, and I'll say, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I'm not going to worry about it for a few days. And usually it goes away. It know? resolves. But if something happens that I'm a little unsure of and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, normally X, Y, Z would feel like this. Mm-hmm. That's when I call up my friend, Peter reset. That's when I, nice. I have another friend, Evelyn. She, she's a physical therapist too. I'll call her up. I'll be like, Hey, what's, what's going on when this happens? Oh, cool. So, cool. but the reason I tell all that is that if you're that person who's unsure about starting, you should probably like go to a physical therapist because they're probably going to be more empowering than they will restrictive. Yeah. So in other words, they'll tell you point blank, like, yeah, like, yeah, you might have a problem with the shoulder right now, but actually, you know what, let's give this like three to four weeks. And then I think you might be good to like give, give it a crack. Now that doesn't mean you're going to go and compete in Mundials like your first week. It means that you're going to go to jujitsu. You're going to do the warm ups. You're going to probably learn basic technique. You're not going to roll, especially if it's your first week ever of jujitsu, you're probably not going to go anywhere near like you know a live partner i'm just guessing maybe some schools do but i I mean you're the black belt but i don't think that's a great idea no we don't do that yeah yeah so um the point is is that there's you can people say that all the time like with the gym and stuff like oh i'll I'll hire a trainer when i'm in shape or i'll I'll hire a better time and it's like i'll go to school when i'm smart yeah exactly that's that's what that is essentially when that happens and it doesn't make sense and it's no and it's, 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 that's a fear mechanism holding you back that a good qualified trainer and a good qualified like jujitsu instructor or martial arts instructor will always have you do what you can do. You that's know? it. You modify yeah, it. Exactly. There's so many guys. I train a lot of men in their 30s and 40s. So many guys come in with back pain and they almost always fit the same profile. So if they have back pain. What's the profile? Tell me what they, the profile is. They all have tight hips, weak glutes. Or some kind, or flip it, weak glutes, tight, you know what? Okay. And they have zero ability to hinge. It's on a spectrum. Like you. Is ask this from them, lifestyle and work? Probably. Okay. Yeah. That they sit down a lot and this kind okay. of thing. Um, the guys who have corporate jobs that sit, drive, and train jujitsu are the worst. <laughs> it's literally kyphosis. Always, yeah, it's kyphosis and like what we're doing right now, flexed hips always. Yeah. You know, so you never have any um, diversity of movement. Mm. So. 
literally if you can drill a hinging pattern and get people to start hinging better and to start uh, like getting stronger glutes, stronger hip add and abductors, uh, make sure that you work their hamstrings, like this back pain starts to go down. It's not like an overnight fix, but it's something as you do it. And I, can, I have a lot of clients that can attest to this that week after week it gets a little better, yeah. it gets a little better, and then you feel like you can do more. When you feel like you can do more, you get a little happier. When you get a little happier, you're gonna start doing even more. And like, it's it's a mental thing. Pain is mental as much as it is physical, so. So I know, heard that. You know, it's, I've heard that. Yeah, so I'm not, I never wanna discount anyone's pain because it's coming, it's real, it's coming from something. Sure. But um, there's a great coach, He's now the strength and conditioning coach for the Yankees, okay. which is like 100% deserved because Eric Cressy is his name. I think he's probably one of the best, like if, not, if not the best. Um, he, um, he had this post. You don't even have to go back that far if you're listening from the post date of this podcast where he showed someone's MRI. And I can't remember what he was showing, but he was showing something that was clearly like medic, like in a textbook sense, dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, but this client like just won like NCAA like pitcher of the year and has no pain has never had pain like they come in and do XYZ and he's like he's like MRI and his point was MRIs are just one piece of the sure of the puzzle sure right? like you are not your MRI like you are not what the doctor necessarily tells you because like I know for me my lower back is actually pretty strong uh-huh. so I can do things sometimes that I would never have a client do like sure. just because I know I know where I can put load and I know where I can do things and where I can hitch on a deadlift whereas I would tell someone don't ever fucking do that <laughs> kind of thing like not saying that I do it a lot I'm just saying that's smart to have a coach yes exactly and I do I have a powerlifting coach and so like it's he, smart keeps, to have coaches. he keeps me honest on these things so point is is that like there is a diversity of things that make your current state up it's not it, it is yes sometimes partially your MRI it's partially how you move it's partially how you feel, your mental emotional state, mm. how, you, how you eat, like, you know, all these things. How you, sleep, it, how you sleep, how much water you're drinking. Yeah, so it's always like, and it's like, they're like race cars. They're always like jockeying for position. Like one will become more important. One will become the leader. One will become the driver. One's the pace car. And then like, if you start training a lot, like, and you want to train a lot, your other things have to keep up. So you yeah. have to make sure your sleep, your diet, your stress all keeps up because that training is your stress now. Versus you just opened a gym and you want to keep training that much, you better get that sleep and every that other car better come up, you know, like burn yourself out. Yeah, or pull one back, and that's what I had to do. It kind of sucked for about six months, but the first six months that this place was open, jujitsu came back. I couldn't train that much. Sure, you know what I mean. It just it wasn't possible. You had to be um, selfish so you could be selfless. Exactly. There so you, you could, go. So you could give going, back. Going back to what we yeah, were talking so you about could go before. Back. You had yeah. to be the best you so you could give a lot to other people. Right, exactly. And that's what like the, the, the service industry as we call it or whatever, you know, jujitsu, you know, strength and conditioning or, or anything is your cup has to be full. Right. So you can give to others. If your cup is not full, how can you give to others? Right, exactly. Right? hundred percent. I agree hundred percent. It's there's in, if you're a coach, I feel like that has to be your sort of your sort of primary. Like you have to be willing to, and I'm not telling you to drop things all the time, but you have to be willing to put your clients first. Like your your athletic career, if that's what's first, you need to make sure that you have clients that 
kind of either understand that or won't get in the way of it, you know? But that's going to be really hard. It's probably going to be I think I think you're chasing two rabbits at that point. I kind of agree. That's why it's like, you know, I said to my girlfriend, I don't mean to throw shade at, at people, but there are some, and I won't even say the sports, there are people who pass themselves off as coaches, but they're phenomenal athletes. I'm not even talking about jiu-jitsu here, so don't. Like, I'm actually talking about other sports. Sure, basketball, yeah. baseball, yeah. tennis. Yeah, but there are people who are phenomenal current athletes yeah. who are coaches. And again, I'm not talking about jiu-jitsu. And they're, but I'm sure it applies. But they have these, they, you know, they talk about their coaching and they talk about their, their gym and their whatever. And I'm like, there's literally no way you could be at your gym that much and be that awesome of an no. athlete. I, I, I know this game too well. Like, you, you know what I mean? And that doesn't, I'm not holding that against you. I'm just saying, just be honest with people. I think that's the big thing. This goes to the bigger overarching question that you were sort of asking about people and when they come to the gym is like, you have to always remember it's what's best for you, not like what the social media guy or person <laughs> is telling you. Funny. Like you, you have that. to like, you have to do what's best for you. Like it, your optimal training, your I optimal. I think people get caught up in that. Yeah. They see somebody on social media or maybe just everyday life and they're yeah. like, I want to be like that person. Yeah. But that person is not a good person to help you get to where you need to be with your goals. Right. 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 Just because they're fitting the mold of what you like. Yeah. Doesn't mean that that person can help you or others around you. Right. Get to that goal. Right. They might be a great avatar in some ways. Like sure. somebody that you're like, that would be cool. Like I admire that. There's a lot of people I admire like that, but I know I can't be like that, you know, and train like that, but it's, I modify it for me. Like my version of like the, like waking up at like 4 a.m. to train is like, no, it's like my version of doing that is making sure I always train and train hard and like I'm going to be sleeping until 7.38 and I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, it's, I stay up late because that's the nature of training in New York City, you know? Yeah. Is that it's a later game, you know? But, um, you know, anyway, that's just something worth saying with the what's right is usually right for you. Agreed. Anybody else. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So let's talk about those questions. So we All had right. some questions from, from, your, from your people. I'm not going to uh, answer some of them. So while Charlie's looking those up. Somebody asked me um, about Komodo, Komodo dragon. Sorry, I'm not yeah. going <laughs> to. <laughs> That's for another time. Okay, you can ask me at the studio about that. Um, JR-AC. What books could you recommend for fighters? This is for you. Okay. That can aid in lifting, strength and conditioning, and nutrition. So I tagged him okay. with my friend Mike Isretel, who owns Renaissance Periodization right. for nutrition. Correct. What are some books uh, that he could get for lifting and strength and conditioning? What's like one or two books? I know there's probably a million, but what's like the first one that comes to your mind? It's like, you should read this. Or should this person just get a coach yeah sometimes i feel like we back to the two rabbits yeah if we're chasing those two rabbits right is it sometimes worth our our hard-earned money just to just to get a coach instead of trying to do it ourselves? i'm glad you said that because so the here's the problem with books and things for fighting is that fighting besides boxing uh -huh. is like kind of new and so a lot of strength and conditioning coaches didn't really get involved with fighting until like maybe like the modern era of the UFC. Okay. So like, um, you know, 
think of like the Brock Lesnar, like that's even like later modern era, like that era. Like, so in other words, what I'm trying to say is that there's not a lot of books that were written specifically about mixed martial arts or jiu-jitsu. In the case of jiu-jitsu, there are none. Like, okay. I, I, like I'm trying to write one right now. But, nice. but the Get one, Mark's book. Yeah, it's not going to be out for a while. But point is, the, uh, the MMA books that I could recommend are there, – there are some. But the thing is is that most books that can teach you about training effectively for your sport mm-hmm. are really dense. And I'm going to give you the name, so don't worry. I'm not like – I'm not like trying to act all like I know better than you because I'm going to tell you the names of all of them and then I'll tell you to go read them. And it took me even as a professional who made my living from this mm-hmm. a few years to understand these books because they're very dense and how to apply them. And they do work. But to your point, you could also... After you do, when you say the books, I'm going to record you on the Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So you could have also at the same time, I'll give you warning though. You could also hire a coach who understands these things. And if you are an inquisitive trainee, you could go to that coach and say, hey, I want to be a better fighter. I need to be stronger. I need to be able to repeat these hard efforts a little better, et cetera, et cetera. I need a better gas tank. Would you mind explaining to me along the way like kind of how this works? And if they're like a coach that doesn't want to do that, they're probably not a great fit for you anyway. Sure. So don't hire them. Sure. But if, if you want to be a better fighter, you should probably hire somebody to help you because it'll happen faster. Because yeah. if it's going to take you like three years to understand some of these books and a lot the of The learning trial, curve, right? Yeah. Or you could hire a coach who will figure it out for you inside of six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also, so I'm a very slow learner, so the three-year thing might be like more specific to me. But anyway, these books that you could look at one is um, one is uh, Lauren Landau's book. Hold up. Sure, no problem. I can't I'm remember sure the name of it exactly. Let me see. Go ahead. So one of them is Lauren Landau's book. He was one of the first really great strength and conditioning coaches to be approached by MMA fighters to say, "Hey, can you make me a program?" Um, I don't remember the name of it. It's called something like Ultimate MMA Conditioning or mm-hmm. something like that, or Strength Training. Lauren Landau's the author. The other one is anything written by Louis Simmons and Westside Barbell in, in the realm of sport development, not powerlifting. Um, now, those are going to be the books that are dense because, like, Louis is, like, kind of somewhat of a genius. And, like, he, the way he writes is how he talks. And if you've heard how he talks, it's very fast. It's a lot of information. And you're going to have to start to learn to understand biomechanics, biology. Um, you're going to have to understand things that took me a long time to understand and learn to apply to the training. So like the one I have on the desk right here, Westside Barbell, Speed and Strength Development for All Sports. Um, another really great book to help you sort of understand all phases of movement is Triphasic Training by Cal Dietz. Now that was written more for traditional sports where your feet are on the ground. So great for MMA fighters, but for jiu-jitsu, you're gonna need to twist your mind a little to figure out, okay, which of these movement phases is most important? You know, these are, some, these are all things I'm working on too. So in other words, the point is, is that some of these books that are out there that I like and draw a lot from, they don't really necessarily always, there's no answer. It's like, that's going to be best for you. Sure. You're going to, you're going to, excuse me, you're going to have to find the one that's best for you. It's not, it's not like, Hey, not cut and dry. You're, you're gonna be a purple belt or a brown belt if you do this for six months, or you're gonna be you're gonna win this tournament. Like, right. They don't exist. Even MMA doesn't exist. The reason I like Lauren Landau's book is because I think it's really easy to understand. Mm-hmm. It's very um, 
all the exercises he chose are like very simple. They're not like there's not like a high degree of like technical proficiency to do them. And you'll if you've never worked out that way before, you'll notice that you did something good. So that's that's my long answer for the books. But I would say also if you want to do it quickly, hire a coach who you know is good and will take time to explain to you yeah, like what's going on. I think that's a, I think mm-hmm. that's a, and their reading list. They'll tell you theirs. Those are mine. That's like things I like. If Steve had a book, I would have listed it. Um, another book, the mentioning Paul Check again. Mm-hmm. I've recommended Paul Check how to eat, move, and be healthy. This book, uh-huh. I've recommended that book to more coaches than ever. That probably any book. Most people, when I ask them and I follow up, like a few months later, did you like the book or whatever? They'll be like, Yeah, it was cool. I just wasn't a hundred percent sure how it applies. But that book is like a huge guide for how you kind of keep all systems operational. There's no answer in it about like this is the best barbell workout. This is the best whatever. It's like, it's a matrix of how, like, if it's a lot of if-thens. Like, if this is not working, you might want to consider this. Sure, and sure, it's, sure. It, it's application. I get asked this question a lot, and people, like, just, like, ghost me on responses. Yeah. Like, because I don't think they like my answer, because there is no great book. Like, sure. the, all those books I listed are great. A lot of books are great. It's a complicated question. But it's a complicated question, because... There's no book that's been specifically written for that. Sure. Same know? thing with jujitsu, right? Yeah. How exactly. do I how do I get from my my white belt to my black belt? Yeah. I don't know. How old are you? How how many days a week do you train? How many how many injuries do you have? Yeah. Are you dedicated? Do you where do you train at? Yeah. And What's honestly, the curriculum? The 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 dirty secret about a lot of this too is that most things are not like so cut and dry. Like they're not so they're not so different either. Like the like training for jujitsu and training for all these other sports, like as a strength and conditioning coach, it doesn't matter what sport you play. If you walk in here and your gait's fucked up yeah. and I see that your posture's weird, I'm gonna work on that first. Yeah. Like I don't care what sport you play, I just wanna make sure you walk right and you stand up straight. Like sure. it doesn't matter what sport you play. It's you know that now if you are a lineman in the NFL, I need to make sure that your bench press and certain other numbers are to like to like in the realm of what we know are the norms of that sport but like you know no kind of answer there's yeah it's tough but also what I was trying to say is that a lot of this is a lot of smoke and mirrors sometimes too but it works because people want to be told this is how you do it and honestly if you some if you find a trustworthy person and they're like this is going to help your jujitsu and they just write you a solid program even if it was the same solid program they would have given to a baseball player if you got stronger, if you got bigger, if you got faster, you're gonna and you and you did it with intent. Like I'm gonna get better at jujitsu. Your jujitsu got better. You, yeah, you got better as an athlete. Isn't that what you wanted? Yeah, that's what you wanted. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, it's yeah, it's we try to make things complicated sometimes, but they're really not. You know. It's a good question. Yeah. So thank you for that question. Yeah, <laughs> of course. All right. So one of the other questions from <laughs> from my jujitsu coach. Uh, Rick McGrees, who hits harder, Phil or me? Uh, I'm <laughs> assuming he's, ta- he's talking about like MMA sparring. Uh, so I boxed with both of them. Okay. And I did mixed martial arts with both of them. Um, and I think that we always think like, oh, fifth degree black belt, sixth degree black belt. They're both world champions in jiu-jitsu too. Right. Um, we're always like, yeah, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu. Phil and Rick have a boxing background, I think even before they did jiu-jitsu. Right. Um, and... 
Uh, I'll be honest, Rick has just as good stand-up as he does jiu-jitsu. Wow. And I would not want to get hit by him any day. I might have to say Ricky has a little bit harder of a hit. Oh, okay. But I have seen him knock people out ice cold. Really? Ice cold. Oh, wow. <laughs> ice cold. I, like, dude, ice cold. Um, I would not want to get in a, a fight with him. His hands are like lunchbox. They're like two of my fists. Oh, my God. And he really, like, when I tell I've been doing stand-up for a long time. I, right. pro- I promise you, he really knows how to do stand-up. Yeah. So, before you interact with him on a a not so good level, you you better think twice. Right. You, know, you can end up blacked out. Not from getting choked, but like right. getting your something yeah. broken and here. Brain scrambled, yeah. 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 I've seen it plenty of times. Guys will come into the gym this is a long time ago. Guys would come into the gym and, you know, try to like challenge one of them. They'd ask them to leave and they're like, no, 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 no. And kinda <laughs> escalates a little bit. So Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. No. You of course know? not. I wouldn't uh, it hasn't it. happened in a long time. It, it happened one time when I was there. I mean person just was not a good yeah. I don't even think he was going hard on the dude you just caught him just right yeah Steve's told me lots of stories about people who would come in and do those challenges that was so like did Steve different... ever tell you the story Rick told Phil told me the story the other day uh-huh. when Steve had his place right guys would come in yeah the, Steve was Rick and Phil's first spot first first jiu-jitsu I remember uh, you've told me about this first jiu-jitsu instructor right guys would literally come in and say I want the challenge match uh-huh I don't know if it was Ricky or Phil or maybe somebody else at the gym. This guy came in. He, he was a wrestler. I guess he wrestled in college or something. I don't know. But he goes, I won a challenge match. So, you know, Steve's like, all right, you know, X, Y, Z, come on up. Let's go. Like, challenge, you know how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Challenge match. Yeah. The guy's like, all right. So they both get on the mat. Right. There's no gloves. There's no shoes. There's no socks. Uh, the other guy, I think, maybe had his shirt off and he had his gi pants. And he goes, all right, you ready? And the guy goes, I'm ready. So the guy gets in a wrestling stance and he kind of like gets low and he puts his hands like a wrestling stance. The guy that he was facing was like in like a stance, like a fighting stance. He ran up to him, grabbed him by the back of the head and kneed him in his face twice hard. The guy that came in did this. Or no, got, he or got kneed in the face. He got kneed, okay, Because he was so low, like a wrestler. So oh, the guy no. ran over him just like, boom, boom, kneed the guy in the face. The guy was knocked out, his nose was bleeding everywhere. It was like on the side of his face. They finally got the guy up and they're like, dude, what were you doing? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I wasn't ready. He goes, well, this was a challenge match. It wasn't a wrestling match. Yeah. It's a fight. It's a full fight. Right. Anything goes. And the guy was just like, that was it. He just left. He just left. That was it. Oh my God. And and, and Phil was like, I'll never forget. There was blood just like everywhere. So like those are like the early days of like the Gracie Challenge matches. Yeah, that was what Steve would always tell me is that people would come in and like at first he would always say to them, "No, the Gracie Challenge is that you have to go beat one of the Gracies, not us. Like we're just the Gracie Training Center." And people would still insist. Oh no, Philly insist. man, that's a hard move yeah, there, bro. Exactly. Like they would insist. Like, no, I want to fight. Was like all right, and all right. Then, yeah, and you know the other thing about Steve too, he's mentioned this a lot, and he's probably said this on a lot of podcasts and interviews too is that that was how he was treated when he trained with like Hoyler and all these other guys yeah like he would be like in the posse and then people would come challenge like Hoyler and Steve would have to fight and and he thought that they would put like Hoist or somebody else the the lower belts have to fight yeah yeah so they put Steve in or they put like whoever else was with him in and that was why he was like he was like that you know and uh, so and it, yeah, it all—it's <laughs> a repeating cycle. 
I haven't yeah. had that in, in quite some time. I did have an issue in my last studio that I was at. A guy came in, and he really wanted to, and I did everything to get him out to be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there that, that doubt the MMA. Let's just call it MMA. Let's yeah. just not even call it like just jujitsu. Let's right, just call yeah, it. Yeah. Let's just call it MMA. They yeah. doubt that it can happen to them. Right. And I think honestly, you go to any you go to any jujitsu school. It doesn't even have to be like a certified this or that. Right. Mm-hmm. And you get some guy off the street. A blue belt's gonna tear him up. Yeah. Like nine times out of ten. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, is that. Once the guy who knows jiu-jitsu or MMA under, like, figures out the pace of the fight, a lot of times it's over. Like, you or they might, hit the ground and the guy the blue belt gets on top. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. going to be hard for the other guy to bump him off. Yeah. I remember one time, I was actually like a, like a new-ish blue belt at the time, and I was, I was traveling. I, I wasn't with Steve. I was with a friend, but I can't remember the exact specifics. I'm also saying this to protect anonymity. Sure, 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 sure. But anyway, we went to this Krav Maga school because that was where they had mats and where we could train. Okay. And um, one of the guys, they, they were being a little like, they're like, yeah, we, we put jujitsu in our training or whatever. Uh-huh. And they're like, do you want to spar? And I, we were like, and you know, the guy was with his brown belt and he's like, well, do you want to spar jujitsu or are you going to like have strikes? Are you going to mm-hmm. have like... You know, what, what are we doing? doing? What are we doing here? And he was like, yeah, like, why don't we put gloves on, but not like, you know, no one's going to be like, you know, headhunting. And, uh, and there was, I was like, all right. And so he's like, you go first, Mark. <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, all right, whatever. And so the guy, like, you know, he comes out and he's swinging a lot, but it looked ex- like all of a sudden I just went to the Gracie combatives. Mm-hmm. It looked like a Gracie combative. Like the guy clearly hadn't trained honestly all that much sure. in, in striking you know too much and it was literally just a, like the what Steve used to call the barkeeper's headlock huh? like I kind of went for like a sloppy double like he had that we did the reversal I ended up in mount I ended up like with him um, oh no what do you call it he had me in that the, bar, the barkeeper this one yeah. that one and so headlock like, like trying to punch you yeah tripped him stepped over pushed his face down arm bar it was just like it was just like textbook it was textbook and I was like Wow. <laughs> it, it, was, it was all instinct, yeah. And like I said, he wasn't the best trained. I was a new blue belt. But that was what I was struck by is that I was a little, I was a little taken by the moment. Mm-hmm. But once I realized what I was doing in the game I was playing, I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, so that's what I mean. Sometimes you see those videos of like blue or purple belts kind of getting pummeled on the street by like someone being an asshole. Sure. And they take a few good licks. But once, yeah. the, once they realize, oh, this is the game we're playing, they – you know, once you're on the ground, they're like, oh, this is familiar, the instinct. It's always situational. It's, it's very situational. It's always situational. And so that was how that happened. I was like, oh, wow, so that, this stuff does work. <laughs> the, the best defense is to not fight. Exactly. Steve talks about it too. 100%. Rick and and I, I'm, I stand true to it right now. Yeah. You don't want to be, why would you want an altercation with somebody? Mm-hmm. Unless it's like life or death. Right. Is, is it really worth it? Right. No, Is it's it not. really worth just, just no. No, leave. If you really want to do altercations, this is my thing. This is like on the same thing, but kind of separate. Like if you want to have real physical confrontation and have like that feel of being in a fight, go do MMA. Right. Don't do just jujitsu. Don't do just kickboxing. Go do 
MMA. You can do a jiu-jitsu match and then you can do a kickboxing match and if you still like it, yeah. which I always tell my guys to do first before yeah. they do MMA fights, I make them oh, do gotcha. a jiu-jitsu match and or a smoker kickboxing match. Right. Because they might do it one time like, you know what? Right. I did not like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no yeah. problem. Then we're not going to go to the next yeah. step because right. I promise you're not going to like that. If you didn't like that, you're not going to like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. Just yeah. just go do MMA. Yeah. What What's realer than that? I mean... What, what's more adrenaline pumping than knowing that you're going to find somebody who's the same weight as you, who yeah. hopefully the same skill set, and you guys are just going to have that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you'll learn, too, really fast. Like I, 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 I learned when I was 18 I didn't want to box because I went to a gym in Boston and I got punched in the head. And I was like, I don't like being hit in the face. You know, you know what? I'm going to pass on this. I'm good with this. I'm good with this. I respect the hell out of you guys. I love the sport. I love MMA. I love striking. I love watching it. I watch a ton of it. Uh-huh. Not for me. I had, like, the opposite. Not when for I was, me. like, 13 or 14, I was like, I got hit a couple times. I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, let's see what you got. Let's do it yeah, again. Yeah. Now I'm going to see if I can miss it. And I'm going to, like, try to put a hole in your head. Mm-hmm. So it was like I had like a different, but then eventually I got older and I was just like, you know what? I really don't. I really don't enjoy. Yeah. Getting crushed hard. Like I'll play around. We'll do some play yeah. sparring and stuff. But I don't spar like super hard anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it was the concussions being younger, like and that kind of thing. Dude, so, listen. Yeah, some people just don't like it. Yeah. Some people just don't. I just didn't like it. Yeah. Like, just like some people don't like grappling. Yeah. Totally. I met a lot of them, and they have perfectly legitimate reasons, and I don't think they're being, they're not being like wimps or anything I don't it's not know, for everybody it's not for them yeah well I know you have to go soon is there any yeah, other man, questions I roll. yeah yeah or any other ones you want to get to or is that it no that wait let me see if there's one more that I I appreciate um, you taking so much time that I really liked somebody wrote to me in, in Russian I can't read that <laughs> um, yeah, master kung fu and other styles I don't know what that means Greg if you're gonna write in another language you should probably translate it because we definitely yeah. we would love to answer but <laughs> what is your favorite childhood memory oh that was pretty cool um boy they make me really go I'm gonna I'm gonna say this statement really quick because yeah, I don't think a lot of people know this I found this out through a professor at Princeton University who was talking to my dad at like some doctor's office or something he was like attention everybody but I was like oh my god who's this wacko yeah yeah and he was like I want you I want everybody here to think about their earliest childhood memory. Go right. ahead, go. And then everybody kind of like, was like one lady like started talking, then the other person said it, and then my dad thought about it like in his mind, and I think he said something too. And then he said, how old were you? Mm-hmm. And everybody said they were about three or four. Supposedly, I could be wrong, you can't think, you can't remember past that time. Right. Something cognitively right. happens where you, you only start remembering after like three or four. Yeah, yeah. So I, my dad had asked me about it and my mom and then I was like you know one of the best childhood memories and it's not it's, it's not the one but it is one is when we first got um, the dog that we had at the time and oh. there was all these puppies around and yeah, yeah. the one that I picked out came to me and then we yeah, went yeah. home with it oh that's awesome and I was like how old was it and my mom was like I swear I, I think you were only about three I don't know how you remembered that yeah, yeah. and I told her where it was and what was happening and yeah, yeah. what the landscape looked like and who the people were we were on a farm and it was out in PA and there was a bunch of puppies and they let them out of this like tent bin thing and they all right. came up to me and she was like I don't know how you remembered that Yeah, was yeah. So she goes I barely remember that how yeah. do you remember that right that's crazy so that that was one of my favorite childhood memories oh that's cool yeah that's awesome yeah I'm thinking back that there's been memories I've had that were real like I was really young and 
I was how young? Thing. How young? At least four, but maybe maybe four. before. Like See? because I, I actually have very vivid memories of this preschool I went to. So like, I how old are you? In Go, a good experience or bad? Good, just oh, like good. Cool. Like no, just like going, liking it. Like there, there was a cool playground. Like can't you know, forget that playground. Yeah, exactly. They had a fire truck. Like uh-huh. it was like a you know for kids you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like I remember liking all that stuff. Yeah, but I it was all good memories. But like. Yeah, you had to be three or four about then. That's before kindergarten. Yep. So that was, I remember doing that. It was north of Pittsburgh, you know, it was like a real beautiful part of town. Like, I can remember that. Yeah. I can't remember, yeah, if I had one. I mean, I had, I had a good childhood, so I, there were a lot. I, I used to like, my dad taught me how to, I was a little older probably at this point, meaning like still under 10, but a little older. My dad, he played, uh, he played football in high school and college, was a quarterback and then switched to safety. But he uh, he taught me how to run routes when I was like eight years old. Teach you what? How to run routes, like as a receiver oh, cool. would, you know. And I never played football, but I learned a lot about it from him because he was he was really good and he understood the game really well. And uh, I ended up playing hockey, but I really liked going in the backyard with my dad, and he taught me how to of run course. routes, like how like counting your steps, when to turn and look, when not to turn and look, and trusting that the ball is going to come to you. You know, the connection. Of, yeah, the connection between the quarterback and the receiver and that kind of thing. So he taught me about like that stuff, the intuition of it, of nice. it all. So it was cool. Awesome. Yeah, so that was that that's the first we're talking about. I mean it's bias, we're in a gym, we're talking about <laughs> athletics. That's a, but that's a happy memory. That's a cool one. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Charlie, thank you. It's Thanks been, for we've been we spending the whole day together, so I'll miss you when you leave. But uh, I'll come <laughs> back. Any, you're welcome back anytime. Yeah. There's a lot we could talk about. I actually almost felt overwhelmed because there's so many questions I wanted to ask you. Yeah. And I think that we only got to the half of it. We'll do we'll do it yeah. on the next one. Thanks for definitely. bringing me to uh, Marcelo's. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, thanks for the training there. Yeah, definitely. But we'll do a second one. Either you can come to me or I'll come back and we'll, we'll do another one. That sounds perfect. Yeah, definitely. I know there's cool. a lot of people who like to hear about more business-related stuff, so we'll get into that next yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm actually going to be having a, a coaching business, like a, a oh, life cool. coach that's business. Uh-huh. That you're so, going to be running. Yeah, that I'm going to run. Awesome. That where people can, can where consult can with you? me personally. So I have Instagram. Okay. And my name on Instagram is Charlie Vinch. Yes, I was gonna say. Go figure. Yeah, exactly. Just search Charlie Vinch, and I'll have a, a link tree up there about you know what I'm gonna be doing. So to make it you know very like uh, easy for people to think about is I'm gonna show people what I've learned right. and from the coaches that I've you know been coached by, right? And how to get their life in the direction of where they want to be going. Right. So, you know, how to structure their day, how to think about things, how to chunk time. Right. You know, all of those things all matter when you want to do something different. And I had the the pleasure of working with so many coaches and coaches now, I'm still coached now by, yeah. by everybody. Diet, you know, um, yeah. my, my business, jujitsu, like I still have coaches for all this stuff. Right. Because I respect and like who they are. And I highly suggest that people want to, you know, go to the next level. You need a coach. Yeah, definitely. And uh, knowing how to do it. Right. We talked about those circles today, like what you know and like what you don't know. Yeah. The coach will help you realize what you don't know. Right. And point you in a direction you never thought that was even possible. Definitely. You need to, you need to, you need to be coached by somebody who's been there and done that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I and I didn't say this earlier, but I would definitely add this in an intro when I do record it. Mm-hmm. Is that you 
were somebody who was very helpful to me, both on a personal and business level, when I was like transitioning into having a full gym and transitioning from, you know, being a trainer that was kind of multi-location um, and just, you know, as someone who had been there, but also very similar interests. Like we're in, we have a lot of intersecting interests, whether it's martial arts, strength and conditioning, else, and, and just the way you think about business was always really helpful for me to have you in my network to be able to just call up, have you as a friend. So awesome, I can attest to, I'm sure that will be a success and when that people should check that out if that's something they're interested in. Cause I'm not just saying that cause I like you. It's I, you, you always made me think about things in a very clear way when you would, uh, when I would tell you the problem, you would always reverse it and make me ask better questions about what was going on. It's all about that. Yes. Better questions. Yes, exactly. Better You have to ask yourself, Better questions. It's true. It's hundred percent true, and I think you were among the people that always made me realize that. So, and so Tony you. Robbins made me realize it. Oh, cool! Because I've yes. been to a ton of his events, right? And I've gotten coaching from people who are under his coaching. Right. Right. Awesome. That's amazing. And so it's it's always going in cycles, right? Of coaches with coaches, right? I'm being coached by somebody who, who I want, where I want to be, right? That's what I'm being coached by. I'm being coached by somebody where where, where I want to be, where they're at, right? Exactly. And they're good at coaching. Right. And I respect them. Yes. And I enjoy their energy. And we talked about this earlier. Yeah. How do you train and get coached by somebody if you don't enjoy their energy and respect who they are as a person? Like, coaching is results, but if you don't respect that person right. and you don't enjoy being around that person, how long are you actually going to be around that person for? Right. You might do it for a year. Exactly. Maybe two, and then eventually you're going to be like... Right. I'm getting the results, but like I don't enjoy even being around this person or talking about talking right. with this person. Yeah. Why do I want to continue? Right, exactly. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I know you have the train, so I'm gonna let you go. Right. We'll, we'll get out of here on this one, but because we could talk a lot about that. But All next right. time. Thank you again, Charlie. Take care everybody.